Um, our preacher this morning is a friend of mine who I served in Kenya for a number of years as a missionary. This guy's a real missionary, okay? He, um, he's, he's learned two different African languages, uh, and he, he, he was, he, he was a, trained as a vet, but he's also trained as a pastor, uh, and he's uh, a dear friend of mine. Um, one little story I'll tell. You know, some of us are afraid of dogs. Uh, this George is not afraid of anything. In fact, one of his dogs was taken off his front porch by a leopard. That, that, tells, you the, that tells you the kind of place where this guy's lived. So um, he's also, he's a, he's a storyteller. He trains, he, he trains African pastors how to use storytelling as a way to share the gospel. And so that's what he's going to do for us today is tell us a, a story from the Bible and share the gospel through that. So George... Uh, welcome to Reconcile Church. All right. All right. And by, by the way, for you that are visitors, our pastor Will is is out of town this week. He's on vacation, so we we got the we got the second best thing here. <laughs> it's really great being here with you. And uh, John told me if he said anything inaccurate that I should correct him. But I told him if it made me look better than I am, I'm not going to change anything. So I think he did that. So I'm going to leave it like it is. Um, but John is really, he's one of my dearest friends in the world. And, uh, it's just, just what he said to the kids just communicates to me what, what John's about and how he encourages me is that he, he knows he doesn't deserve God's grace, but he knows God has got a hold of him and he'll never let him go. And he wants more and more and more of Jesus and his touch. And that encourages me so much. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you asking me here. So my question for you guys today is, how do you need Jesus' touch in your life? How do you need his touch in your life? Is it just, is it just struggling to believe all this stuff that we're hearing in church and these things about God when, when so much of the things that we see in the world around us and the, the things that the culture tells us and the, and the media tells us just doesn't seem to make sense or, or reconcile with it. Is that where you need His touch? Are you struggling with illness? Is there some physical struggle or somebody in your life that's, that's sick and, and struggling and you, and you really need Jesus' touch there? Is it, is it financial? Are you struggling to, to make ends meet and to pay your bills? Is it, is it a relationship you're in, you know, that's really important, of parents and kids or, uh, you know, a child that's struggling? Or is it somebody you, you really need to forgive? You know you need to forgive, but the truth is it is hard and it maybe even seems impossible. You need His touch. You need him to come into your life. You need to experience him. John chapter 1, verse 14, the first part of the verse says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, came into this world to, to live with us, among us, to, to touch us, to connect with us. God created us for connection with Him. He wants to touch us. He wants us 
to touch him. So the story I want to tell you today from his word is from Mark 5. And in this story, there are two people that are seeking the touch of Jesus. And there's two big questions I want us to think about as we, as we go through this. Two big things we're going to be looking at. One is, how do they seek Jesus' touch? What can we learn from them about how we are to seek the touch of Jesus in our lives, the, a, a deeper experience of him in our lives? And secondly, is he worth it? Does this story show us, is he really worth that touch, that effort to, to move toward him and, and to be touched by him? Is he worthy? Okay, this is from John chapter 5, and, and it's, he's, he's been ministering in Galilee, as John was already saying. Uh, this is further down the road, and he has um, he's just crossed over the Sea of Galilee in the boat and calmed the storm. When he got to the other side, he ran into this man who was uh, demon-possessed and, and naked among the tombs and, 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 and was just in a desperate state. And and Jesus threw the demon out of that man into this herd of 2,000 pigs that, that ran off into the sea. And the people there saw what had happened. They didn't want Jesus' touch. They didn't want him around. They asked him to please leave them. They were frightened by Jesus' touch. So that's where this story picks up. So after Jesus had crossed back over the Sea of Galilee in a boat, there was a huge crowd that gathered around him right there beside the lake. And then a leader of the synagogue named Jairus came there, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded with him earnestly and, and said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hand on her so that she will be healed and will live. So Jesus started to go with him. And while he was on his way, a huge crowd followed behind him, and they were bumping up against him and, and jostling him. But among the crowd, there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 long years. She had suffered under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had. And instead of getting better, she had only gotten worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she reached out and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, then I will be healed. And she did. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. But also at the same time, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he stopped and he turned around and he looked at the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said, what do you mean who touched your clothes? Everybody's bumping up against you. But Jesus kept looking to see who it was. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet. And in fear and trembling, she told him the whole truth. And Jesus spoke to her and said, daughter, <laughs> your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And at the very time he was speaking, some men came from the synagogue ruler's house, from Jairus' house, and, and took him aside and said, hey, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus overheard them 
and he ignored them and he said to him, don't be afraid, only believe. And so he would not allow anybody else to go with him except for the, the dad and, and, and Peter, James, and John, the, 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 the brother of, of James. And they went to um, Jairus' house. And when they got there, Jesus saw a great commotion and people weeping and wailing. And, and Jesus went inside and he said, what's all this commotion? What's all the, the wailing? She, the little girl is not dead. She's only asleep. And they just laughed at him. And then putting everybody out, he took the father and the mother and the three disciples that were with him and went in to where the little girl was. And he reached out and he took her hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl or honey <laughs> or sweetie pie. <laughs> Arise. And immediately she stood up and she began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to let anybody know what had happened. And, and, and he told them to give her something to eat. So that's the, that's the end of the story. I'm going to tell it again because I want you to listen very closely to the details. But first of all, I want to ask you, who, this is a very easy question. Anybody can answer. Who are the two people in this story that are seeking the touch of Jesus? Tell me one. Exactly. The, the, the woman who had been struggling with this discharge of blood. And who else was seeking Jesus' touch? Yes. Right. Or actually her father was coming and looking for that touch. Very good. So now when I tell this story again, I have a, a, two questions about these two people I want you to listen for. And these will help us to explore uh, these bigger questions that I was talking about earlier. Okay? Very simple. Listen very closely. What is different about these two people, okay? Who they are, their situation in life, you know, their words, their, you know, something they say. And secondly, what's the same about them, okay? So I'm going to tell it again, and you listen very closely, and then I'm going to ask you afterwards, what's different about them and what's the same? Okay, so this is from Mark 5. After Jesus had crossed over again over the lake by boat... And he found a large crowd that gathered around him right there by the lake. And, and, and there came a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded with him earnestly. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hand on her so that she will be healed and, and, will, be, and will live. So Jesus began to go with him. And this large crowd followed him, and they were jostling against him, bumping against him. And there was among that crowd a woman who had suffered with a, with a discharge of blood for 12 long years. She'd suffered under the care of many doctors. She'd spent all that she had, and instead of getting better, she'd only gotten worse. And she heard about Jesus, and she snuck up behind him in the crowd, and she reached out and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if only I can touch his clothing, I will be healed. And she did. And she was. She immediately, she, she, the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that 
she was freed from her suffering. Jesus also immediately knew and realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around and looked at the crowd and said, who, who touched my clothing? His disciples didn't understand him. He said, Lord, everybody's bumping up against you. How can you say that? But he kept looking. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet. And in fear and trembling, she told him the whole story. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. At that very moment when he was speaking, these men arrived from Jairus' house and took him aside and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus overheard them. And he said, Don't fear. Only believe. And he would not allow anybody else to go with them except for Peter, James, and John. And they went on to Jairus' house. And when they got there, Jesus saw this big commotion, people weeping and wailing. And so they went inside, and Jesus said, what's all the commotion about? Why the wailing? The little girl is not dead. She's only asleep. And they just laughed at him. And then he put everybody outside the house. And then he took his disciples and the mother and the father and went into where the little girl was. And he reached out, and he took her hand. And he said, little, he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she got up and started walking around. She was 12 years old. And he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone else. And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word Thank you that there were real people in those real times seeking your real touch because we're real people in these very real times and we long for your touch and sometimes we fail, fail to experience it. Lord, teach us now, Lord, how to reach out for you and give us confidence that it's worth the effort. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so two characters we want to focus on, Jairus, and the woman who had bled for 12 years. What's different about these two people? Anybody? Raise your hand. And... Yes, what, tell me one thing that's different about these people. Okay. Good. Anybody else? Or even, not only what they did and said, we want that, but also just about who they are and their situation in the world. Yes. Okay, very good point. The woman had had a problem that had lasted a long time. It was chronic. The, 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 the man's daughter, it was a very acute need, a major right now emergency. Okay, what else is different? What about these two people in that community, in that world? How might they have been different? Yes. The woman was very poor because she used up all of her money. That's right. Right, so likely he was fairly wealthy. Okay, good, good. And she had spent everything she had. We knew she had nothing left. Yes? Um, she was 12 years old, and the lady had So she's obviously a lot, older, a lot older. Very good. Anything else? What about, what do you, 
this you have to dig a little deeper. What do you think the difference in their reputations were in the world that they lived in? I'm sorry? Uh-huh. Very good point. He was a, an integral part of the community. No? I mean, he was one of the leaders in the, in the synagogue. He was probably very well thought of. And yet she was completely alone. Why, why, why would she have been particularly alone? Yes? One, she was in the crowd with the unclean. Right, right. You're both right. She was unclean. If she's been in that Jewish, uh, the, you know, the rules of worship and everything, she couldn't go into the temple or, or be with other people or be touched because this, this issue of blood would have made her spiritually unclean, you know, at, least, at least ritually unclean. Somebody. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet, yeah, and yet, people, a lot of people probably looked at her as if she had done a sin. Any, anything else? Any other difference you see? Okay, what about, what is the great, what is, what big thing is the same about these two people, about the man and this woman who'd been bleeding? What is the big common factor? They both had a great need. They both had a great need and were desperate for help. Okay, so now let's dig a little further. And what was similar, and we started on this earlier, what was similar about the way they approached Jesus? And from this, hopefully, we can learn a little more about how we should approach Jesus. Tell me some of the similarities, John. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. Tell me something anyway. Similarities. They, they, they both were in need. That's number one, isn't it? Were you going to say something else? They recognized it. They recognized it. They knew their need. They were desperate. Right? Nathan? Very good. They both fell down in front of Jesus. What does that tell you? How is their attitude similar? Very humble, broken, perhaps felt unworthy. Okay? Very good. Okay, what else was similar about the way they approached Jesus? Yes. Absolutely. What did they both particularly want? Right, and what, what did he want? What did they want Christ to do to heal them? Touch. They both wanted his touch. Okay, the man, he specifically said, Please come and lay hands on my daughter so she will be healed and she will live. The woman didn't go and ask, but she, she reached out for that touch. Anything else? Yes. Excellent, excellent. They, they both had an expectation that he would respond, even though knowing they were broken, knowing they were not deserving his help, they knew that he was merciful. Anybody else? Yes. Very good. So their faith, and this is all, this is all pictures of faith, right? Their faith, while they were helpless, 
They were broken. They couldn't fix themselves. They knew they were sinners too. So in that sense, it was passive. Nonetheless, it was active. They both moved toward Jesus. Did they take a risk? What, okay, what risk was, let's say for the man, what risk do you think maybe he took? Yes. He risked his social Very good. He risked his, you want to call it that, rabbi Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. And, and, and just that rejection of these people, like, you know, sort of like the, the story of Bartimaeus, you know, they wanted Bartimaeus, he's crying out for Jesus and they're telling him, just be quiet, leave him alone, you know. So she's risking social, further social outcast, he's risking his position. And, and many of the people in his position, many of the synagogue rulers of that time were very skeptical of Jesus or threatened by Jesus. So he, they were both taking great risks. So let's just kind of summarize. And they were both, how do we approach Jesus? What can we learn? They were both desperate and broken. They knew their sin and they, were hum- they really humbled themselves before him. Secondly, they, they both wanted to be touched. They wanted an experience of him. They wanted more of him than they'd experienced so far. We, they had a longing. They, they saw this need that God has put in us for his touch. Okay? Third, they took a risk. Each of them was willing to take a risk, to, to step beyond, you know, what they could see. All right? Fourth, they, they took an active step. Faith is passive. It's like it's receiving. There's nothing we can do. We're utterly dependent on God. But yet, oftentimes that receiving requires us to take a step, you know? Maybe our faith issue is, I just can't forgive this person. It's so hard. Well, you're asking God to help you. Maybe he wants you to, Lord, my heart is still not there yet, but but help me to be nice to them today. By faith, Lord, I'm going to try to treat them kindly, even though I can't honestly say that I've totally forgiven them, but I'm going to take that first step, okay? And finally, one that we didn't talk about was well, let me ask you this. Can you see in both these people, can you see anything about them that tells us that their faith was not perfect? How, how might the woman's faith have been shown to not quite be perfect and robust? And Yes. She went to the doctor. She spent like 12 years by paying money. And okay. So she'd done everything she could. There's a, okay. Good point. Anything else? She was timid. She was afraid. She, she took that risk, but it was, she was going to try to mitigate it, minimize it as much as she could. Let me just sneak up here and not disturb anybody. I just got to reach out and touch him. Yeah, she was fearful because imagine all the rejection she'd already felt. Yes. Mm-hmm.
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, when we say that she spent all that effort of her own, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not criticizing the effort. It's just saying maybe, possibly, there was some, you know, self-dependence in that as well. But what, what about the man? How might his faith have been imperfect? What evidence is there of, of that possi- being a possibility? Yes. Right, which is, which is really what all of us would do. If our friends came and told us, your daughter is dead, all the evidence of his eyes said no. And, and he needed Jesus to encourage him, okay? But, but what I'm getting at is they, all, they both displayed great faith, and that's what we need. But it wasn't perfect faith. It wasn't 100% all right, okay? And that's except, I mean, Jesus still responded to them okay so the second so that's our first big question how do we approach him the second big question is is he worth our approach for his touch okay so so what do we learn from this story what happens this story about jesus from what he did and said that tells us he is worth it he is worth taking the risk he is worth taking that active step he's he's worth you know, um, uh, uh, being broken in front of. This is, let me, before I get to that, this is an important question. Because faith, the real issue in faith is not how strong is my confidence that God will do a certain thing for me, okay? God's not up there metering out his touch according to, oh, your faith, oh, meter, oh, he's got, he's 100% confident, that the healing is going to happen, I'll take care. He's like 75. I'm, he's going to have to wait another day. You know, he's not like that. It, I was up in many, uh, Minnesota visiting a friend, and they're telling me about in the wintertime, and it's hard for me to imagine as a southerner, they, everything freezes over, and the lakes freeze over, and they, they actually drive their pickup trucks out on the lakes and cut a hole in the ice and put these little... They put these little uh, tents around them, and they fish through that hole. They drive their pickup trucks out there, okay? So imagine if I were with him on a winter day, and he said, hey, big crowd of us are going fishing, and, and it's going to take two trucks to get there. I'm going to drive one, you drive the other one, okay? So we're going to go out across, and this ice, you know, is, 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 must be, a, 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 I don't know, two feet thick or more, and he drives out across, and then he's going to drive out across that ice, not even going to blink an eye, right? He's done it a million times. He knows it'll hold. How am I going to feel going across that ice? I'm like, oh my goodness, are you serious? You know, which of us is more likely to sink? Neither one of us. Because the issue is not my faith, my confidence. The issue is the object of our faith. Is the ice thick enough? So that's why I'm asking you this question. Is Jesus weighty enough for us to approach? So just, just tell me, throw me out some adjectives, some descriptive, just one word or so that you see in this story that would describe Jesus and how he acted. Just give me random one word, and then we'll dig into them a little more. Sufficient. Sufficient. Very good. Patient. Excellent. Humble. Humble. Good. Powerful, yes. Attentive, excellent, excellent. Reassuring. Reassuring, 
Great. Compassionate. Compassionate. Any others? Gracious. Okay. There's, I'm going I'm to focus on five. And I want to I dig in to these five. The first one is his power. How do we see his power displayed in this story? How do we see his power? Excellent. So we see his power just in what we see right there. That when she touches his cloak, she's healed. When, when he touches a little girl's hand, she's healed. Okay? What else do we see about his power? Is, there, is his power displayed in spite of anything? What? Right, in spite of ridicule? In spite of what the eyes see? In spite of what the world is telling them? You know, laughing at you, she's, I mean, all the evidence of Jairus' ears and eyes and friends said she's dead, hope is lost. But his power was beyond that. Okay, secondly, his purpose. I really love this about this story, that Jesus, and we see over and over, that Jesus heals a lot of people, but he doesn't heal every single person at that day and time, okay? So Jesus doesn't just heal just to heal Jesus heals to reveal, okay? Yeah, he cares, he wants to heal, but he's also revealing himself and what he's like, okay? So think about each of these three. Think of Jairus, the woman, and the little girl. How, do we, how can we maybe see purpose in the way that Jesus dealt with Jairus? Anybody? What might he have been trying to teach Jairus or teach us? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. That he's truly God. Good. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he's displaying what we often call the upside-down kingdom of God. It did not make sense for him to pause for this woman with the issue of blood from our worldly view, you know. It didn't make sense. Number one, Jairus was the more important person in that scenario, you know. His case was much more urgent. I mean, the woman, you know, she'd had 12 years of this, another day or two. You might even say, well, and she was healed anyway. You know, okay, we'll get to her in just a minute. You know, there were so many reasons that it didn't make sense, but Jairus had to wait. And, and God does not, God doesn't favor those that the world favors. Okay? God loves all, and he, wants, and he has work he wants to do in each person. And one of the things he wanted to, I think, he wanted to teach Jairus and other people like him, which includes a lot of us, was that I can love you and yet make you wait. Maybe even say no. Yes, sir. Feel that it was like 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good job. Good job noticing that. Um, so let's move to her. How, how could we see God, Jesus, working out his purposes in the way he handled her? Okay? Remember, she was healed when she touched him. Okay? The, the, what she was looking for, her immediate interest was taken care of. Yes, sir. Well, remember what he did was correct job. Uh-huh. Right. Of the ruling class. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, you're saying all that is swept away. Mm -hmm. it, it can be Excellent. Excellent. That's exactly right. Nathan. Yeah. So, so he's working different purposes in each one. And, and, and as you were saying, if Jesus hadn't stopped, you know, she would have had to go through this long process to, I mean, she wouldn't immediately have been let back into to the worship, okay? But he was declaring, he was saying, he knew that she needed more than just a physical healing, she needed a heart healing, and she also needed to be healed in that community and be, be declared right again. And so, what a statement he was making by taking time with her. Yes? Good. Mm -hmm. Right. But it was important. Somebody said it to That's great. And he appreciated all her years of struggle and her trying to to find a way and her desperate faith that reached out. You know, that's the only place, I believe, that it actually says power went out from him. Okay? Okay, so we see that Jesus is powerful. We see that he is purposeful in his work and, what, and how he does this. We also see that he's patient with us. And we talked about that. Their beliefs maybe wasn't perfect. Maybe even, you know, I mean, they didn't, you know, she didn't just jump up and say, yeah, I believe, heal me. You know, and he had his issues, but he's patient. It didn't slow down or, or minimize the way that he touched them. He gave them his everything. He's patient with us. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the, 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 the man who's struggling and wants his, his son to be healed from demon possession. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. I want to believe. But I'll admit, my faith is still weak. Help me. And Jesus always responds to that. He never says, why don't you come back another day and top it up a little better, and then I'll see. He, he responds. So he's powerful, he's purposeful, he's patient with our, uh, our weak faith. He's also tender. You see what he, he was tender to the man, okay? He, he knew that when he'd heard his daughter was died, he spoke to him, and he said, just believe, Okay, 
don't worry. How did he show his tenderness to the woman? What did he say to her? Called her daughter. Called her daughter. Identified with her. My daughter. You know, which was, I mean, not just being nice, but it's recognizing we are in this together. I and mean, that's one of the great privileges of our faith in Christ. We are now sons and daughters of our Father in heaven by faith in him. Okay? How did he show tenderness to the little girl? What did he say? Yeah. Talitha kum. It was sort of like saying, honey, honey, get up. You know, he didn't, he didn't go, arise. <clears throat> he spoke to her with kindness and compassion. And that's how he speaks to, to us as well. In compassion. Finally, the last thing that I saw about him that really hit me was, we've already mentioned it, sacrifice. He's a sacrificing God. He's a sacrificing Savior. Power went out from him. Okay? He had to lose power for her to be healed, for her to gain power. And what a, a little picture of what he really came to do. On the cross, he lost power. He lost life so that we could have life. He lost reputation so that we could have a new reputation as his sons and daughters. He lost strength so that we can now be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's what he does to do those things, to, 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 to touch us. So is he not worthy of our touch and our approach? So I ask you again what I asked you at the very beginning. Where do you need Jesus' touch in your life? Are you more like Jairus and it's an acute emergency situation? You need him right now. Everything seems to be going against you. Are you like the woman? There's something that you've been struggling with for years and years, and it's just robbed you of everything you have. You have nothing left to give to fix this thing. And in both cases, it seems hopeless. Where do you need his power? And, and finally, what keeps you, what blocks you, what prevents you from approaching him in these ways that we're talking about? Is it, is, it, is it like the people over on the other side of the lake? You're scared of him, and you saw what he did, and you don't want anything to do with it. You'd rather just stay in your own little, your own little situation, and you're afraid of him. Is that what's preventing you? Is it what, what, what could have been, could have blocked Jairus? It didn't, but what could have blocked Jairus? Is it, your, is it pride? Is it the sense I've got to do it on my own or I've got to, you know, Lord helps them who helps themselves, which is not in the Bible, by the way. It, is, that, is that your attitude? I'm, I'm going to give it all I can and then, Lord, you're going to partner with me or, you know, or, it, or you're just afraid, reputation-wise. Or, or is it how, how the lady could have been? She wasn't, thank God. But she could have let her own shame her own place, her own sense of unworthiness. And even though she didn't deserve to be looked at this way because of her bleeding, but she probably just felt sinful and worthless. I'm not worth his touch. Is that what's blocking you? Or maybe, is it even, are you, are you like all those other people that were walking alongside him? And just like our brother, he just left, it said, 
They were touching him too. (laughs) But power didn't go out from him. They weren't touching him. They weren't seeking his touch. They weren't seeking everything that he wanted to give them. Are you like that? Are you just in church doing doing the church thing, being a good guy? but you're not really risking anything. You're not not throwing yourself in in desperation on him for his mercy. Throw yourself on him. He is worthy. He is powerful. He's got a purpose in your life. It may not be answering you, touching you immediately the way you think you ought to be touched, but he's, he's got a purpose he's working out. And he's patient with all your ups and downs in faith. He sacrificed himself for you. And he's tender. And he's speaking to you with tenderness. You know, I think of the old hymn, Jesus is tenderly calling today. Calling today. Calling today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, which is so powerful. We confess that we don't seek you. We don't seek your touch anything like we should. We get blocked by our own shame or our own self-dependence or, or just through our own distraction and ignoring you. But you're patient with us. And Lord, you're worthy of us seeking you. And when you get a hold of us, you never let go. And we thank you and praise you. Touch us, Lord. Touch us. In Jesus' name, amen.